Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at assaultlimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com don't forget ladies and gentlemen in the podcast description or podcast notes in your podcast app you can get access to all of our sponsors all of the products that we talk about in the podcast and contact information for paul and martin all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about? Talking about? Talking about? Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, all right. Back with episode seven of Squared Away. What you been up to, man? Lucky number seven. Oh, I've had one of those days today, but hey, you know what? Shit happens. Yeah, we live and we learn, right? That's right. It's life. Fuck up. Move on. Learn your lessons. Try yeah. not to fuck up next time. <laughs> Embrace the suck and fix it. And, uh, right. I'll, I'll kick my ass in the gym tonight. So, And we got a lot of shit on current events to talk to, but I'm really excited to take this deep dive today. Um, if I sound erratic... Like I'm jumping from point to point. It's because I'm trying to explain something that is so overarching and important in my opinion, but I'm also only a beginner in the depths of it. So I'm going to try to open it up and explain it as good as I can, but there are some books, there's some videos you guys can hit and these people will do a much better job at explaining all this than I ever can. But I'm going to start out with if there was a pill that you could take that costs like 12 to 15 bucks a day that improved depression, reduced binge eating, helped the smoking cessation, reduced stress, helped people drug addiction, helped ADHD, 
scientifically proven to reduce loneliness in elderly, help with people with autism, help with IBS, shrink the stress regions in the brain, increase the gray matter in the important parts of the brain, slow brain aging, and change how our brain processes fearful memories. All of that for like 15, 20 bucks a day. Seems seems impressive, right? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Okay. I kick your ass for, you know, 12, 15 bucks a day. Okay. Clear your head. Meditation. <laughs> Meditation is is started out with Buddhists. It developed into sort of a hippie type idea because of Buddhism, but the actual the actual action of meditation, which creates the state of mindfulness, kind of like compare it to a workout. You're working out. That's the exercise, but strong or fast or fit. That's the state that you're working out for. So meditation is the exercise. Mindfulness is the state that you're working out for. Now, through the 80s and 90s, it got some big traction. It started getting into big business. We're talking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Phil Jackson, Jerry Seinfeld, Ford CEO, Bill Ford, Tom Bergeron, Oprah, Clint Eastwood, Mick Jagger, Ray Dalio, big people, right? And then scientists started to study meditation. Um, I read some amazing articles, some here from the UW-Madison. And that's where all of these improvements came from. These are actual scientific studies that showed improvements on all of those things that I said. So, my introductory into, into meditation was, do you know who Tim Ferriss is? Yeah. So I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast pretty regularly and I read a few of his books. Tim's got two books that are really, really good. They're tools for Titans and then one other one that does a similar thing. And what he does is he goes in and he asks the most successful, the most pro- prolific people that he can get a hold of. And he asks them their habits. He asks them what helps yeah. them. He asks them what's important. And one overarching thing that all of these people talk about is meditation. So that that sparked a light in, in, in my brain. And I, and I went, oh, I'm a, maybe I'll look into this. So then I started, I started a few books, um, waking up from Sam Harris, uh, 10% happier by Dan Harris, not related. Um, and the Dan Harris one really, really puts it the best. The entire book is, is his introduction into meditation. So he started out as a war correspondent, came back from war, was doing all of the stuff on, uh, good morning America, I believe, and ended up having a, a, like a, like a breakdown on good morning America, completely lost, couldn't breathe, had a panic attack on live air. Got his shit together, pulled through, and then about four months later had the same thing. So he's like, I, I got to fix this. So he goes to see a psychologist, starts talking to him about it. Turns out he was chasing the dragon of war from being a, a, a correspondent and was doing a lot of drugs, partying and shit like that. And and didn't necessarily link those to the panic, ta- panic attack he had on air, but slowly this psychologist kind of opens him up to the idea of of treating treating his brain the way that it sh- the way that it should be because he's a professional right like he needs to be able to act on camera live so kind of training like an athlete but for your brain so he starts to get in and he, and he hears about Eckhart Tolle which Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra are both like super woo woo in the in the Buddhism mental you know uh, meditation game and he reads Eckhart Tolle's book he meets Eckhart Tolle and he just he can't he can't handle the 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 spiritual 
almost like over the top grandiose you, you think about it and it'll happen like type shit about meditation. So he kind of starts to write it off. But then he gets introduced to a few psychiatrists who actually teach just the action of meditation and the action of meditation that causes the mindfulness without all of the spirituality and the Buddhism, that everything that comes with it, just the just the action that helps. And that that really helped him. And through that, he ends up developing a, a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice. It gets, gets up to a half an hour a day, goes on a 10 day, uh, no talk meditation retreat. And that's when he really has his opening. And the whole book just, just follows his, like, he's, he, he's a, he's a contrarian, which, which is very much like me. Like when you hear somebody that starts saying like all these grandiose, oh my, you know, like Deepak Chopra sells, He's got like 75 different books that he sells to people to try to help them. But he's he's very much a, a business, right? Like he's not just there to help people. Whereas a, some of these psychologists and psychiatrists that he's that he was working with, um, they're, they're paid to help people. And so then I started looking into, OK, I'm going to I am going to learn about meditation. So what is meditation? Well, the definition of meditation is to think deeply or focus one's mind for a period of time in silence or with the aid of chanting for religious or spiritual purpose or as a method of relaxation. So that's it's really just the action of relaxing the mind and, and focusing on the breath. So how do you meditate and what does meditation do? Well, meditation basically upgrades the running system in your brain. So on your computer, your computers are always operating. It's always working in the background. It's doing stuff, whether you're clicking buttons and banging on the keyboard or not, like it's always doing something. And that's kind of what meditation does is upgrade that, that running system in the back of your brain, because they refer to it in a lot of these books as the ego. But what it is, is the voice in your head. When you're thinking about something or not thinking about something, there's always that voice in your head. And that voice in your head has an attitude and a mindset. And medita- what meditation does is it makes you aware of that voice in your head and gives you a, 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 a second lag or a half a second lag or a millisecond lag between a stimulus. So let's say something happens to you and then your rebuttal or your action. So being able to have that that millisecond or half a second, I don't even know how long it would actually be considered, but being aware of, all right, something happened to me. I should be mad, but am I mad? Is mad going to improve anything here? And it's just being able to ask those questions and being aware of that space really improves everything about your life. And it's not just little things. It's, it's big things because if you're able to go, oh shit, I don't want to work out. Right. But you have that two second lag after that where you go, yeah, that's just me being lazy. I'm going to put my shoes on and go. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade from just listening to that immediate action or somebody cut me off in traffic. The immediate action is to be pissed off and let it ruin your morning. But if you have that ability to pull yourself out of the situation, take two deep breaths and go, well, that guy clearly needs to be somewhere faster than me, me getting pissed off at him and letting him ruin my day isn't going to improve the fact that he just cut me off. So why let it bother me? And so that that's kind of what meditation does. And meditation is super, super easy. Like that was one of the big things that I was like, ah, there's no way I can do this. Anybody I talk to, there's no way, there's no way I can sit with a, with a blank mind. Right. 
But really, it's the action of noticing the mind wandering and bringing it back. So you just find a place, sit comfortable. It could be in a chair. It could be with your back up to the wall, your back up to the bed. And then you concentrate on the breath. And different people are going to pick different places to concentrate on the breath. But mainly, you either breathe through your stomach or your chest. And then you either breathe out your mouth or your nose. So pick one of those four places. And then you just concentrate on the breath. For some people, it's easier to have some sort of a mantra. Like you could say in your head, in with an in-breath, out with an out-breath. TM, which is transcendental meditation, which is one that it's a little bit commercialized, basically. Like there's TM teachers that you pay five grand to go learn how to how to meditate through TM and they give you your special chant. But really, it doesn't matter. That chant is it's a two syllable chant. One for the in-breath, one for the out-breath. It doesn't matter if you want to say blue, green. It really doesn't matter. So you concentrate on that breath and you're in, out. And you're concentrating. You feel the breath go over your nose or out your mouth. You feel it in your chest or you feel it in your stomach. And you're just concentrating. And you just keep doing that. And when you notice that your mind is, oh, uh, I need to go do this when I'm done with here. Oh, why did I let that thing bother me earlier? It, you recognize it, you grab the mind, you bring it back to the breath. And that's the rep. That's that's the bicep curl. That's the chest press. That is that is the repetition. Every time you grab the mind and bring it back to the breath, that is building your mind's ability to, to give you that gap between stimulus and action. And that's it. That's easy. That is what meditation is is that's how it works that's what it does um and all of those benefits come from a regular practice of that for me it's like 11 minutes twice a day i have i have a reminder that goes off on my phone and i don't do it every time it goes off but my reminder goes off twice a day sometimes i do it once a day sometimes i do it twice a day every once in a while i miss a day i would like to get back up to i was doing 20 minutes twice a day And that's what TM calls for is 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And I mean, you're talking like they're actually brain studies of long term meditators show like eight to 10 years younger brains in these people. So in meditation, uh, how how are you driving that? I mean, what are you steering your mind to do? You're just bringing it back to the breath. You want your mind to go back to blank and just concentrate on the breath. So when you like, let's say we're sitting here doing it. You know, we both have our eyes closed and we're concentrating on the breath. And then you think, oh, shit, I got to do that one thing for work later. You recognize that. Okay, I'm not concentrating on the breath. You bring your mind back to the breathing. Just wherever you pick your spot. And for a lot of people, for me, it really helped in the beginning to put on like a an ocean wave in my headphones because an ocean wave comes in and goes out and comes in and goes out. And then you can breathe with the ocean wave. There's a lot of different things. There's great YouTube videos that are guided meditation. Sam Harris has some awesome ones that are guided meditations. And it doesn't matter how good you are at it. You're going to be awful at it. You're going to fucking hate it. Set a timer for four minutes. The first time you start, do it for four minutes and just let yourself do it for four minutes. Get up, go on with your day. Do it again the next day for four minutes. And then maybe in a month, add two minutes Like it it does, you don't have to be, this is where the growth mindset comes in. You don't have to be perfect at it. You just have to do it. You have to be there doing, doing it, doing the activity, doing the repetition. So what I mean was, so you're getting to a state of mindfulness. And I guess uh, my question is, what is mindfulness? Because 
the school district here pushes it quite a bit. I hear it all the time. Mindfulness is, is pretty important. And the studies that they've done through kids is mindfulness is one of the most important things that you can teach kids because it doesn't just teach them things. It teaches them how to do things like it teaches them how to act. It teaches them how to react. It improves everything that they do. So what mindfulness is, is being aware of the voice in your head. It's being aware that that voice is just a voice. It's not necessarily your, it's, it's the monkey mind is what they call it. So like the voice in our head is always saying things without mindfulness. You just go with those things. The voice says something you go with it. The voice says something you go with it. Mindfulness is being aware of that voice and being aware that that voice isn't always right. That voice isn't always what you need to do this second. I mean, we're talking like General Mills put in, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, General Mills was so high and Target were so high on meditation. They actually put in meditation rooms. Yeah. Yeah. They put one in, I know, in my uh, nine year olds uh, school. Yeah. And I hope they're, you know, with, with kids, it's tough. Like uh, one, one way that I've read about teaching kids is like put a stuffed animal on their stomach. Cause when your stomach goes up, the stuffed animal goes up and just have them concentrate on the stuffed animal. So, and the stuffed animal goes up when you breathe in and then the stuffed animal goes out when you breathe down. And that helps them be aware because it's, you know, it's gives them something to concentrate on the animal going up and the animal going down. And when a child is mindful it makes them aware of that voice so much earlier. And that voice has so much to do with every reaction they have. If someone says something that they take negatively to themselves, a child without mindfulness gets hurt by that. A child with mindfulness is much more likely to understand that that, that kid didn't say something to hurt you. That kid said something to make them feel better. Or, and that's just a small example, but it's just, it's, it works with everything that the, that the monkey mind, everything that that voice in your head tells you to do or tells you need to do or tells you to be upset about something. Cause a lot of times when, when, when we're initially upset about something, it didn't actually offend us. It didn't actually bother us, but that, that voice told us it should have, that should have offended me. Oh, you know, like if, if you walked by me at, the gym and didn't say hi. I'm not like this, but certain people would be like, oh, he, maybe he's mad at me. You know, maybe, oh, maybe, maybe I said something to piss him off and that's why he didn't say hi. Where realistically, maybe you didn't fucking see me, you know, but it's that assumption of malice, that assumption of negativity yeah. that the, that the monkey mind, that the ego voice initially does. And it's the boss that didn't call you, but called the other two people that you were working with. Well, maybe he didn't even know you were with them. But you're 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 already assuming that it was negative where if you're mindful, you're able to realize that voice. Oh, and you're able to catch it and and maybe not fix it, but but readjust it. Whereas, oh, well, I'm not going to assume that he was mad at me. Yeah. And it's and it's. <laughs> It's every day. It's every little thing. It's not just like, it's not just these little things. It's big things. You right. come home and your wife, maybe your wife had a really bad day, but it had nothing to do with you. But you, if you, if you're not mindful, you assume that she's pissed off at you. That makes you pissed off. You don't bring it up because that's just how you are. Whereas if you're mindful, you go, oh, wow, she's really pissed off. I wonder what she had a bad day. And you ask her. 
Hey, did I do something to make you mad? No, I just had a really, just had a really rough day with, you know, my sister called and had this going on and mom and dad aren't doing this. And, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, is there anything I can do to help? But it's that, it's that two seconds or three seconds or whatever, where you're aware of the voice in your head and you're able to go, Hey, hold on, dumb fuck. Let's not assume this right now. So based on that logic, it's uh, so if you're mindful, you're you're not going to be offended by every little thing. You're not going to be petty. Yes. About every little thing. Yes. Which is what petty is, but. Yes. Okay. Mindfulness. Mindfulness is, I would almost say, like the base of an improved life. It is. It's it's the it's the groundwork. It's doing all of the really important shit to the foundation so that when you start building on that foundation, you have a sturdy structure to build on. Okay. It's kind of like the post I did yesterday. I, I actually got it that. off uh, Mark Manson. I I think it was in the story, so it lasted about 24 hours. Oh, okay. But basically there's a a circle on the bottom that says, you know, shit that happens to you, right? Yeah. And then there's a circle on the top that says um, stuff that you should, the shit that you should really react to. And when those circles overlap, there's really a small section. So it's got an arrow pointing that tiny little overlap and says very fucking little. Yes. Yes. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. It is. Don't sweat the small shit. Don't. And, and, and what it does is it makes you able to realize what you should sweat and what you shouldn't sweat. And, so Dan Harris has this big issue where he he starts to become very mindful and he works his meditation, but he can't balance out the drive to succeed along with being calm and mindful. And he sits down with a bunch of people to try to get to the base of that because it's actually hurting his career because he's not driving for big news stories. He's not pushing himself. He's not pushing the people around him. And Finally, he gets he gets a, a the perfect answer from, I think, one of the like super, super nerdy like Buddhists that he's talking to. And he, and he goes. You don't disconnect yourself from the work. You disconnect yourself from the outcome. It's like writing a book. You can put everything you have into that book and make that book the best fucking book that it could possibly be. And then you put it out to the universe and you release yourself. You don't automatically assume that because you put in that much work, it has to be successful. You know, so it's it's knowing that you're doing everything that you can do and you're driving as hard as you can and you're pushing as hard as you can. But then releasing the outcome. To the time that you're in to the action that you put in. And sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not, but you know that you put the most fucking work in and you, and you worked as hard at that thing as you can. Oh, so let's just come back around to, so if you learn how to be mindful, you uh, get to that point where you just don't give a fuck. I don't. Yes. A little bit. You do get a little bit of not giving a fuck. But I don't even know if not giving a fuck is the, is the right explanation for it because you still care, but you you but don't you care fret. about what's important. You don't fret on things that you have no no control no control over. Correct. Yeah, which is a big thing. Like so many people fret on things that they have absolutely no control over. Yeah, a lot of people don't sleep. 
at nights for hours and hours just thinking about stuff that you know what they can't control and they're not going to change while they're sitting in bed so yeah i mean we're he so dan harris ended up doing a um a big big piece on meditation for i think good morning america one of the shows he does and he ends up talking the marines were implementing it to actually be able to help create a better better soldier less ptsd less reactionary action right because one of the big things with uh guerrilla warfare is you want if if you're a you know if you're in uh, if you're in cuba right and let's say let's say we're going into cuba to try to to try to reduce the um the amount of people that are being hurt by the government in cuba let's just say this is a big thing that's happening and it's not don't fucking take this the wrong way it's not but i'm just saying let's say it is the the leaders of the regime in Cuba would want all of the people in Cuba to be scared of us and hate us. So what they would do is they would do big bombastic actions to get us to react so that when we react, it shows the people that we're there to hurt them. Well, if you if you're mindful and you're in a small town and you get shot at, you 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 don't necessarily just react and blow a bunch of shit up that is civilian people and little kids and stuff like that. And with that, you're able to actually create a better overall attitude about your presence in an area. So they were working into it. I mean, there's so many different groups of people were studying mindfulness and implementing mindfulness because the science really started to show. I mean, when you're actually increasing the gray matter, which is like where the neuron connections are in certain parts of your brain, that's a big fucking deal. Well, that makes sense. So now I'm thinking that, you know, on the nights I can't sleep and I am decide to go watch, you know, John Wick's uh, kill count and that puts me to sleep, then I must be really fucked up. No, no, no. <laughs> John Wick, that, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate Keanu Reeves actions in John Wick. He appreciate the handles training himself that well. He, that he yeah, he handles out. himself well. Training was good, yeah. But I think he shot, he shoots three gun and does a lot of, like he does a lot of, does a lot of training before that. Actually, yeah, I think he does on judo, does he? Um Brooks Barrels right here in Lodi, Wisconsin built a gun for Keanu Reeves. Oh, they did? Yep. Oh, I didn't yep. know that. Yeah, apparently they've done some um they've done some guns for a lot of big big name people. I called him to try to get, I was hoping that they were doing AR barrels. He said, no, not a chance. Oh, really? They only do like high end. <laughs> Sorry, I just sent this down a tube, but yeah, yeah. when I can't sleep, it's either I'm watching some kind of kill count or I end up getting stuck watching some Dodo video that I'm like almost tearing up at. So. No, yeah, no, no. So that would be a big thing is that concentrating on the breath. That's what I, I, a lot of times I use it for that is if I'm laying in bed and I'm, and I'm, my mind is racing because I don't have that much of a problem, but a lot of people have that problem with the racy mind when they're trying to go to sleep, right? Yeah. So if you're able to quiet the mind by concentrating on the breath, then all of a sudden seven minutes goes by and you're fucking tired because you've calmed the mind. You've you've gotten rid of a lot of the whatever you were worried about. And it's still going to be there, whatever you're worried about. But are you worrying about something that's intelligent or are you just worrying to worry? Because if you're worrying about something that you don't have any fucking outcome, you know, any any uh, input over the outcome, then you're just yeah. wasting energy. No, it's true. <clears throat> I'd have to uh, yeah, reevaluate why I can't sleep. But I know half the time it's like I'm ready to go, but body wants to go to sleep. Yeah. I'm like, shit, I could go for another four to six hours here. Yeah. But that's going to catch up to you. I right. Know. 
You know, I mean, that's that's what happens is even though your mind is alert, it still needs that, that. I mean, sleeping is when it does all its repair. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you know anything about like the EPO, EPO, AP, APOE. Uh, it's a genetic. You're you have an APO3 or an APO4 in a certain those are the alleles of your dna so you get one from a mother one from your mom and one from your dad and you either have a three a three or a four two threes or two fours right um these are genetic markers for how well your brain recovers during sleep so if you have two of the good ones you're fine you have like 70 percent less chance of getting alzheimer's if you have one of the good ones and one of the bad ones, you have like a 40% chance more, 40% more chance of getting Alzheimer's. But if you have two of the bad ones, you have like an 80% chance of getting Alzheimer's. But that doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily get it. It means that you have to be conscious of what you're doing and you need more sleep to do that repair to heal those arthrosclerotic plaques so that your brain is able to create, you know, stay healthy. And right. so like that that sleep isn't necessarily the most important thing for your mind, but it is for the structure of your mind, yeah. not necessarily the activity of your mind. Yeah. And I heard, uh, Rob Wolf. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I know Rob Wolf. So, you know, he's, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of good input on, uh, on health. And I heard him talk to you a couple of days ago and just talked about the different ranges of, uh, you know, stages of your life age wise and how sleep affects that. And, you know, I'm here, I'm in the right at the borderline of 50 here. And he talks about how when you're in your late forties and your fifties, you know, now sleep has become like a credit card. You know, you can't just deplete it. You have to, you know, refill that and maintain that. Otherwise your body's just going to shut down. You're not in your twenties or, you know, early thirties where you can just deplete it, but you don't have to replenish it you recover. So I forgot what he said about uh, that range in between, but I believe it's something like, you know, you tend to now catch little naps, you know, 20 minute power naps to catch up. But yeah, when you're hitting 50 plus doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. I mean, I'm, I'm 37 and I feel it. I feel it already. I go to bed at, you know, we go to bed at like eight 30, go to bed at eight 30 and I, you know, but I don't, and I'm up at, at four during the week and five on the weekends. So it's not like I'm sleeping for 12 hours, but like, I need that. If I don't get that, I'm, I'm trash. Are your kids in bed at eight 30? Yeah. I put my son to bed at eight 30. Yeah. My 17 year old goes to bed at eight 30. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, she's quiet. Like we, yeah, we know she's not like we told her, we, you know, probably when she was maybe let's say like 13 or 14, we're like, you don't need, like, you don't clearly, you're not going to go in there and go to sleep right away. And so a lot of nights she actually does. Um, but like, we don't have devices upstairs. So she goes up and she does her bedtime stuff. And then she, you know, she hangs out in her room. She reads, she does whatever. But um, yeah, that's, that's when everybody crashes at my house. Well, always before nine. I mean, unless if it's like a special Friday night and we're, you know, we rent a movie or something, then we'll stay up a little later, but. Or I'll make sure I'll stop by at 10 o'clock at night and just good fucking luck. You show up at my house at 10 o'clock at night. You might get shot. (laughs) I just start honking the horn. We were putting, it was probably 8.30 one night and we were putting my daughter to bed, the young one, we were putting her to bed and my wife's like, I think somebody just walked in the house. I'm like, no way. 
Right. I'm like, not a chance. And then I hear like, cause we have uh, bells on both doors. Cause our dog rings the bells to go, yeah. to go potty. And I hear the bells. And so I ran in my room, grabbed my pistol, put one in the chamber and walked around the corner, which I'm really happy that in that, that instinctually everything kicked in. Like I, I knew exactly what to do and didn't think anything of it. Yeah. It, it wasn't thought it was just, it just happened. It was just action. Um, but when they heard me throw one in the chamber, it was two people. It was a husband and wife that were looking for my address on a different cul-de-sac for a basket. They were going to somebody's house for a basketball game. So you're looking for my address number. So they walked into a dark house. Well, the lights were on. You know, we have four cars in the driveway because I have two. My wife's got one and my daughter's got one. Yeah. So like there's four cars in the driveway. So I get it. Like hindsight, looking back, I understand why they thought this was probably the right place. Yeah. Lights were on. We keep our outside lights on all the time. Four cars in the driveway. They just walked in. You know, maybe they knocked first, but we don't have a door. Our doorbell doesn't work because since my daughter was a baby, we unplugged the doorbell. So it didn't wake her up while she was sleeping. Oh. And uh, so they walked in. And when they heard me put one in the chamber, the guy just goes, um, I think we have the wrong house. Oh, really? And I walked around the corner and pointed my gun at the ground. I'm like, and my adrenaline was going, but I'm like, yeah, I think so. And he's like, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and it was fine. Like it wasn't, but it was, it was a sketchy situation for a right. second. Yeah. Well, they weren't wearing black, were they? No, no, they were, it was, they were like a, a skull cap. And yeah, that. no, they were like a 45, <laughs> 50 year old couple, like dressed to go to a, you know, dressed to go watch a Badger basketball game at a friend's house. Oh, yeah. But it just happened to be that my cul-de-sac, three cul-de-sacs over, there's the same number, house. Damn. Yeah. I don't know how we got onto that. Oh, putting the kids to bed. Yeah. Okay, went on that barrel. Yeah. Um, so that that that's my deep dive. I know I didn't even do half justice to how important like meditation was to me and how important it is to so many people. But when you hear that list of of benefits. Like, I mean, we're talking like children with autism, teaching them mindfulness helps. Like, that's a big fucking deal. So mindfulness and meditation, uh, I mean, that's a whole separate avenue versus like a prayer, correct? So Sam Harris, who is a devout atheist and a neuroscientist, links a lot of the benefits of prayer to the meditation. So in his opinion and in his studies, a lot of the benefits that come from a daily prayer, a weekly prayer, a church scenario every Sunday for an hour. And a lot of those benefits are the same benefits that you see cognitively as a a meditation practice. So his argument is you can have all of those benefits without the deity, without the spirituality, and just have it in a straight and narrow cognitive benefit, emotional benefit, health benefit. So based on, yeah, his neurological studies. Yes. But for yeah, somebody like uh, like myself, you know, I, I take a meditation time or I take prayer time. I pray for my kids, you know, every day. Yep. One of the books I'm reading is uh, Stormy O'Martin. Uh, writes, you know, how to pray for your adult kids. Okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. But I'll pray throughout the day. Yeah. But, you know, that's, uh, like I said, we can get a deeper story sometime about my, you know, Christianity background because yeah. I didn't grow up in it. Yeah. So, but uh, I think that helps me a lot because most of my prayers are gratitude. Yep. 
you try to pray not like a Santa Claus prayer. Yeah. But it's always about gratitude, and then you pray for your kids and your, you know, loved ones. So, so there's there's the same exact thing in okay. in meditation in Buddha. It's called meta. It's called meta meditation, and it's you start off and and I'm not going to get it exactly right because I don't do this one. I should do it more. Um, but it's you send out positive energy to someone you love, someone who is difficult, someone. There's a middle one in there and then the whole world. And so you go you go through this this progression every time you do a meta meditation. So it's the same same exact idea as what you're saying. And the gratefulness, like gratefulness journals and gratefulness meditation, that was one of the other things that that all of the people, not all the people, but a large majority of the people that Tim Ferriss talks to talk about. Like they had a gratefulness practice. They have like a, a gratefulness journal that every morning they write something in. And for, for like a year, we had a gratefulness chalkboard in my house. And every day you had to write something on the chalkboard that you were grateful for both kids and me and my wife, both of us, like some days it was something stupid, you know, like I'm grateful we can go to the store and just get snacks, you know, but it's, it's just, you're grateful and it gives you a practice of like realizing how really lucky we are today. I mean, if you look at like, I think in the mid two thousands when they did like all the census stuff, the majority of people living in poverty had central air washers and dryers, dishwashers, cable, cell phones, like, we should all be grateful for that because when you start to think about like how the, how the less fortunate are treated in your society, I mean, you're treated, you have to want to be, you want, you have to want to not have those things in, in America today. And I'm not saying that everybody does. And there is a lot of mental health that causes a lot of the homelessness issues that we have, but it's a mental health issue, not a, um, material issue. We are able to supply most of those things to most people. Right. I think yeah, material goes on uh, a whole different other avenue other than just, you know, people wanting things. Yeah, which reminds me, I mean, if you get time, I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, This church in Charlotte made this uh, video called Christmas Presents. No. Oh, it's funnier now. I can, I'll link it though. Yeah, it's a, it's Christmas video pretty much applies all year long, but it just shows his family. So this dad wakes up and everything is like literally that he encounters on a day-to-day basis is wrapped up. So like, you know, his shower's wrapped up. He's like, oh my God, running water. You know, or he, he unwraps his, you know, his plate and he's got, I got hot breakfast. Yeah. And he runs out, you know, his wife gives him the keys and he's like, what's this? And he runs out in his driveway and he's like, oh my God, I have a car and it works. Yeah. And he, it's just, yeah, shit like that. It, it's a pretty cool video. You have to see it. You got to chuckle out of it. That's awesome. I love it. But that's a great, that's a great mentality to have. Like we could do that every day. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot, a large majority of us in this country could legitimately do that every day, but we take all that shit for granted. I know I even get caught taking that shit for granted. Right. Like, I mean, I still have, I have a 2003 Honda pilot that I drive a lot of times for work, but then I have a 2015 Duramax Denali. And like, when I get out of that Honda pilot and I get in that Duramax, I'm really grateful. Like that's a really nice ride. Yeah. And that that Honda Pilot does something for keeping me grateful for that truck because there, there's a thing called the hedonic treadmill, 
So hedonism is just like gorging or gluttonous in, in, in anything, sex, food, materialistic. It's just needing, you know, having the most of something. So the hedonic treadmill is when you have something, you become used to it and then you need the next thing. So you have the 2015 Denali and you get used to it before the payment book has ever ended. And then the new one comes out and you need the new one. And then you have that and you need the boat and you have the boat and you need the big house. And it's the hedonic treadmill. You have, you know, you take a bite of pie or cake and as you're chewing that bite and all of the sensations are in your mouth, you're already grabbing the next bite. Like you are getting the next bite ready to shove into your fuck hole before you're even, you don't, you're not even realizing like how oh, delicious yeah. that bite is. And that's, that's mindfulness. Mindfulness gives you that separation of, of church and state or that separation of, of, of action and stimulus to realize, oh, I'm just going to enjoy this pie that's in my mouth or I'm just going to enjoy driving this nice car. I'm going to enjoy having a, an adequate home to raise my family in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's getting out of that where, you know, I, I think there's a lot of couples that that go visit each other's house, right? And it becomes like a competition of, oh, I, you know, now they have a big house. Well, then you go home and it's like, well, maybe we should look at a bigger house. And this is whole Western society thinking of bigger is better and the next best thing and the white picket fence kind of life, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, I was just going to say it's keeping just, up with the Joneses. It's it's a waste of time and energy and it's stress that you don't need to, you know, give to yourself. I mean, I, I've learned contentment over the years and I'm, I'm content with what I have, you know, I mean, my house works great for the kids. It's a little big for cleaning for a single dad, but you know, I'll have to hire some, some illegal immigrant maid or something to, you know, help clean it. Maybe (laughs) I'll get some federal funding. You can say that I can't. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I drive a Raptor, but you know what? It's not a brand new Raptor, but to me, it's, I have gratitude. It's, it's like you said, you know, you get out of the Honda Pilot. I mean, I have a, I have a Lexus that has, you know, 180 some thousand miles on it. But you know what? I, I like it. I shine it up. You know, it still rides great. So why do I need anything else? And on the weekends, I'm grateful, you know, I'll hop in the Raptor. And, you know, like last weekend, I don't know why. I was so grateful just throwing 15 bags of mulch in the back of it. But you know what? It's a truck. But it's a nice truck to, you know, yeah. throw 15 bags of mulch in. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm thankful. Yeah. And that's it. It doesn't identify who I am. If I don't have it, it's fine. Because I think the thing I've learned is that, you know, you can have things. It's not wrong to have things, but you can't let things have you. Mm-hmm. And you can't. And I hope my son, you know, learns that because, um, you know, he's at that age right now. I mean, he's in his 20s, you know, and a lot of a lot of guys in their 20s. For, they create their identity by what they drive, yep. what they wear. Yep. And, you know, my son got a, a new car. It's a really, you know, sweet Lexus. And uh, I think he's he's got a really good head on his shoulders. And, uh, you know, I was surprised. I think when he bought it, I'm like, oh, I hope he just, that doesn't, you know, become his identity. But, um, yeah, he's doing well. Yeah. And, and, and that is that it's a balance. Everything in life is balance, right? It, it, you, you don't go too far one way or you don't, you, you don't have anything. You don't go too far the other way or your items that you're always chasing have you and you're never content. You're never happy because you always think that that next thing is going to make you happy. Yeah. That next meal, that next, 
you know, that next uh, girlfriend, that next house, that next bigger car. Well, you know, we got this and we got this. But, man, if we really had a boat, we'd be happy. You know, OK, yeah. well, we got a boat. Now, if we really had UTVs, we'd be happy. You know, if we really had a golf cart, we'd be happy. If we really had this, we'd be happy. No, just be fucking happy. You can still want those things, yeah. but they're not going to bring you any happiness. Yeah. And don't hold on to them just because you wanted them. If you buy the boat and you figure out, like, we bought a fucking boat. We figured out that we never use a boat. So we sold the boat. Damn. You know, it was like we had it for a year. We oh, use really? it twice. Like, this is stupid. We're not boat people. Uh, we figured that out. But that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah, how you learn. You learn, you got rid of it. Yeah. So it doesn't become who you are. It's funny you talk about keeping up with the Joneses. Did you ever see the movie, The Joneses? No. So David, I think it was David Duchovny made a movie with Demi Moore and it's called the Joneses. And what they are is that they're they're They work for a guerrilla marketing firm. The UFO uh, no, TV show. Yeah, guy that's the guy. Yep. Yep. And so so they work for a marketing agency. They're not even a family. They're four totally separate people. One plays a dad. One plays a wife. One plays a daughter and one plays a son. And they, the marketing company moves them into these affluent areas and then gives them all this shit. So they give them the brand new Audis and the brand new golf clubs and the brand new clothes and the brand new everything like the high end and the companies pay to give them the shit. And then everybody wants to be like them because they have all the new coolest shit. And so they, you know, he goes and his job goes to the driving range and like out drives everybody with the new Titleist X174. And then all of a sudden the next day (laughs) it shows like all the fucking guys that were at the driving range have the new Titleist XC4 and their, 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 their handler comes in and like actually like grades them by how many sales are in the area of new Audis and the new, you know, kitchen appliances and like all this shit. And they, their job is to throw parties and show off. Oh, wow. But it's never all seen that, under yeah. the radar. It, and it's like, I'm not saying that that exact thing is happening today, but it's basically happening on social media. Like you fucking people buy whatever these fucking these these social media influencers put out or wear, or talk about, or their supplements they take, you know, like that's a big thing with like workout or, or Instagrams. Or you're going for vacation. Yeah, I've everything. a lot of that right yeah. now. Yeah. These, like these workout people on Instagram, like you, you don't show all the other shit that they take. You just show the one pre-workout that the guy takes and he's fucking yoked, you know, oh, it's, I'm going to get that pre-workout, yeah. you know, and, and, but if they look like they're in the juice, then yeah, I don't believe any shit that they sell. But you and I are intelligent enough to like to do that. Right. Like you and I are intelligent enough to pull ourselves out and go, well, duh, I know that that, you know, that branch chain amino acid supplement is <laughs> yeah. not going to give me giant fucking biceps, yeah. you know. But there's a lot of people that that do do that. And there's people that make hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year. And all they do is post about shit and they just get free shit sent to them. Like I know people personally who make a ton of fucking money and new balance sends them a ton of free shit. And all these companies, they just, people just show up. Honestly, I think that your boy, no, 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 no. What was Mark? You were just talking about him. Mark. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's Mark Sisson primal kitchen. They just get, they just get cases of shit. From Primal Kitchen, they don't even use it, but they get cases because somehow they got on a list of like influencers. No, really? Yeah. Wow. And the only reason that works is because fucking sheep are buying the stuff. Man. 
Well, maybe we should get like a, you know, somebody sending us steaks or something like Omaha well, steaks. So, Go for it. I mean, I would be okay <laughs> if Omaha steaks sent us ribeyes and tenderloins. Please no New York Damn, strips you because are nobody You ever I was thinking about this the other day, right? So, on a, on a on a T-bone, you've got the tenderloin side, which that is the tenderloin that yeah, is a filet mignon if it's a prime, house, right? Yeah. Nope. So, yeah, tia on a porterhouse also. Yeah. And then the other side is a New York strip. Right? So like who orders a New York strip? You ever go to a restaurant and order a New York strip? You probably want something a little, you know, marbly. No, you get Other a ribeye. Rib you yeah. get a ribeye. You don't get a strip. A strip is a tough ass piece of meat. You get a fillet or a ribeye. But it's right on that bone. Get That's fine. That I'll flavor, get a T bone. No, but I'm saying I'll get a T bone, but not a strip. Never will go and order a New oh, York really? strip. No. Never not a, a fucking City chance. Strip or- I don't know if the Kansas City Strip is the same as the New York Strip or not. Yeah, if I'm really hungry, like my nine-year-old and I last week, we both, you know, piled down a porterhouse. Yeah, man, that's fine. That's great. I'll fucking rock a T-bone or a porterhouse. And I save that tenderloin side for after I'm done eating all right the fucking the end, tough uh, strip side, right? Because then you go to the tenderloin side and you're like, ooh, this is so fucking juicy and yeah, good. Yeah, you need the knife. You just use the fork yep. and just pull it apart. Yep. We're yeah. ribeye fans. We eat a lot of ribeyes. Um a lot of marbling. I mean, that's where that's where the the flavor Flavors, comes from, yeah. right? I like the bone in ribeyes. Oh, oh, yeah. You ever get a tomahawk steak? Oh, that's not many around, but yeah, I gotta go. Uh, Every go once in a while, you can find them at Costco, um, and they're not expensive. They're like eleven ninety nine a pound because oh, really? a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it's not usable meat. A lot right. of it is that bone, so they don't charge you the twenty five dollars a pound that an actual ribeye is or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, we got prime prime tomahawks for eleven ninety nine a pound. Jeez, I'm gonna have to uh, look at that. You gotta slow cook that bitch though. You don't oh, really? Yeah, oh yeah, because they're they're two an inch, two inches thick. So oh, you gotta just throw in a smoker or something. Yeah, but I bake them for you know, bake them until it gets to like I think it was like ninety degrees on the inside, and then I finished it on the grill. Yeah. And then let it sit. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, if, if Omaha or even any of these <laughs> any of these other small beef producers Want to want to send us steaks? I mean, send we would half be a okay. cow. It's fine. I'll be. We could even. That too. We could even like. I don't know. Maybe talk about how delicious they are on air. That's right. I'll, <laughs> I'll pile down a half pound of meat in there. But for now, you guys gotta like go to the Amazon links that I put on and buy the books that we talk about because yeah, then we can make our sixteen cents from each purchase. Yo, put a link out on this video. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely link this video and I'll link the book that you talked about too. Um. Previous to that, I'll yeah, Stormy oh. Martin is uh, how to pray for your adult kids. Stormy Martin, got it. Yeah, it looks like a Martian, but I think they say Martin. You look like a Martian. I know. I've been called Martian. <laughs> Fucking oh, <name>. current <laughs> events. Oh, is there so many to pick from? So many. And you're so white. I, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to like. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna sit over here on my on my pile of on my pile of Scrooge McDuck money, <laughs> my <laughs> my pile of Scrooge McDuck money, and my and my white privilege, and we can talk about all of this randomness that's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest story is you know the Derek Chauvin trial, you know the George Floyd aftermath. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a minority, you know, I've said that about a million times. I'm hundred percent Asian. Um, you know, all this black lives matter, Asian lives matter, you know, whatever, you know, everybody has their opinion. But when you look at what happened with this trial, um, and from even a tactical point of view, um, you know what, I'm going to say shame on the media, you know, fuck the media because they screwed this whole thing up. And, you know, when you're only putting out a little clip, 
know, completely out of context where it looks like, you know, the police were completely in the wrong, um, which I will say, you know, I'll get right down to the verdict. I mean, the verdict, he was guilty. And you know what? He, he was guilty of manslaughter and in a way that not how people think that they, in their mind, they already had what the verdict was going to be that, oh, he's guilty on all counts. Well, you know what? He, he was using proper procedure from what I can see on there, from the other angles of the cam. Um, his knee was on his shoulder, um, but where he made the mistake was, and it looked egotistical, is that, you know, when he was unresponsive, when Floyd was unresponsive at that point, you know what, you got to render aid. Yeah. You got to take action. Yeah. And his ego kept him on there. And and that's, yeah, that's stupidity and that gets a manslaughter. So the verdict is what it is, um, but it's not the root of the problem. You know, now you got this other kid, this, uh, this Dante kid that, you know, gets shot and sure, yeah, you know, shame on the, you know, woman police officer. I... The training is what I would say is the issue. Yep. It wasn't because she was racist. It wasn't because, of, you know, any of these outcries that, you know, the cancel culture is trying to push out there. It's just the fact that, you know what, if your training is good, if your training is second nature, and it's like we talked about before, when you hit trauma, you automatically, you go down to the level of where your training is at. And at that point, you should have known what she was pulling out. Now, so, should those things never be on the same side, right? They should never be on the same side. So, uh, you know, I don't know what the logistics was. Yeah, and I don't even know if they were on the same was. side. Exactly. So how she pulled it out, you know, what what happened at that point of, you know, adrenaline spike, I don't know. Um, I didn't look far enough to get there. But, you know, I will say it comes down to a training issue with the process of training. I don't know the quality of training, the repetition. We don't know that. Yeah. But the bottom line is, you know, anybody can disagree with me on this, but almost all, I will say almost all confidently of confrontations is where the the victim was a criminal. And the victim was committing a crime. Therefore, that's why logically the cops were on the scene, correct? Correct. So, you know, I mean, here's a really, you know, Everybody's on science. Everybody's, you know, on philosophy and facts, whatever you want to call it. Is you know what? Bottom line, don't break the fucking law. I mean, that's all you got to do. Don't break the law. And if you do, you know what? You got to comply. And you're going to have your day in court if you disagree. It's just like if I drive down the freeway, which I normally do, and unfortunately, I may be, you know, 10 miles an hour, um, over, I might be a little over in that. And if, uh, you know, police officer decides to pull me over, right? Well, if it was close, guess what? I'm going to have to take it to court. You know, I'm not going to sit there and create a situation where I'm not going to be going home to my kids. Yeah. So if I don't want that risk, I don't want that situation, guess what? I'm not going to speed then or I'll stay within a five to seven mile an hour over limit. But in all these situations where there was drugs involved, guns involved, and they're resisting arrest forcefully, I mean, what do you expect would happen? Right? Yes. I mean, that's logical, correct? And that's that's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out to the book again, Black Lives Matter. And that gentleman breaks this problem down to its root core inside 
a lot of the minority areas in big cities and there is no trust either way. There's no trust of law enforcement and law enforcement has no trust of that population um, because people will accidentally shoot little kids and the entire neighborhood knows who did it, but nobody will turn that person in because of whatever is causing that, that, that separation and that distrust. And, and he, it's one of the best, most intelligent books on one of the hardest topics that I've ever read. And if you are able to pick it up, read it, I'll link it again. It is amazing and it has science in it and it has not necessarily fixes, but suggestions how to improve this stuff. I mean, this is this is years and years and years and years and years of hard work to improve the relationship that minority communities have with law enforcement. And I, I grew up in a small town and as a 18 year old white kid who drove too fast with tinted windows and exhaust and a stereo system, I had those same issues. And it was because you profile people that cause trouble. Were you like a white rapper wannabe or what? what? No, no, no. I don't think I ever had. I mean, I might have had like a little Were stint like in M&M? there. I might have had a little stint in there where I wore like a velour, like one piece suit or something. I don't really know. Maybe flat bills. Um, but no, I just it. you're just in a small town, right? Like especially especially boys, but teenage boys get profiled as troublemakers. You know why? Because we fucking are. We cause trouble. And so yeah. you get profiled. So you get pulled over and they pull you over for whatever they can pull you over for. Loud exhaust, tinted windows, rolling through a stop sign. And that's how policing works. You get pulled over for doing something wrong and then they find the other shit. Maybe you're not doing anything else wrong and you get a warning for rolling through that stop sign. But if they didn't pull you over for rolling through that stop sign or like in this last case, pull you over for the pine tree air fresheners hanging from the mirror, the rearview mirror, then they don't figure out that you had a warrant for your arrest. And that's the part that like you said earlier, fuck the media. That's the part that gets left out of every news story is. Oh yeah. Well, this got pulled over pine tree air freshener. This is bullshit. It's over policing. Yeah. But there was warrants out for his arrest. Yeah. Well, kind of like the stabbing thing that happened. Yeah. You know, media fuck that one up again. Yep. So and, and, and I'm going to say this on live air. If if you see somebody trying to stab me, shoot them, shoot them, because if you come at somebody that is frantic with a knife, there's a really good chance you're going to get fucking hurt. Yeah. And, and here's here's one that uh, here's one of the questions that was actually aimed at one of the police officers that um, had to make a comment about what happened with the uh, stabbing. So basically, so. You want me to shoot the the guy going after you with a knife? Yes. Do you want me to shoot them in the leg or do you want me to shoot them center mass? Center mass. Okay. Because if they have a knife in their hand and you shoot them in their left leg, they can still come after me and stab me. Yeah. So here's to the, the population of fuck sticks that are out there that are asking 
cops to train to shoot people in the leg. That is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. I mean, first of all, go try go yeah go, you're, you're go try be, to you're shoot somebody in the fucking accurate. leg. Yeah, well, why don't you ask him to stand still so you can catch him in the calf? Yeah, and for your information, you know, for those that haven't seen a battle or haven't you know seen combat, it's like it's not TV where you get shot once and all of a sudden you go down and you're out of the game. I mean, your body can probably take you know a lot of holes. Yes, as long as it doesn't hit anything vital. Yes, so. Yeah, the shooting a leg thing is about the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. So yeah. get get off that train. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are millions, maybe not millions, thousands of stories of people that get shot multiple times and make it somewhere, whether they make it to a police station or make it out of the woods or make it like... There's a reason they made it because your body is still able to do things. You don't just you don't just turn off. It's yeah. not just an on and off switch. Like yeah. you have adrenaline. You have all the blood that's in your bloodstream that you haven't bled out. You if you're not shot in the lungs, you still have your oxygen system putting new oxygen into the blood that you still have. Right. So yeah, so if somebody's going after you, I'm going to shoot them center mass until they stop. Yes. I'm not just going to put one in. Yeah. I'm going to keep firing. If I was to kill somebody, yeah, I'll, sure, I'll put two in the center mass and one to the head after they slow down. So, but yeah, this this whole idea where it just drives me nuts, you know. And and at what point did criminals become martyrs? Well, that that's what I mean. You know what? The, the verdict was justified. Yes. Okay? The manslaughter was justified, but you you can't say that while we're that he was an example that you want to say is a, a martyr and example for for kids, an example for you know a solution to this problem. So what does it mean? You know, it means the cops are the problem. Well, what got it to that point where the cops had to show up? You know, yeah. it goes back to our conversation a few minutes ago. You know, just stop breaking the fucking law. And, and what's the answer? Because currently the answer is defund the police, which is going to be umpteen thousand times worse than what we have. We need more funding to the police and more training. Yeah. And anybody that listens to Joe Rogan knows that that idea is not my unique idea. There's a lot of people that have that idea. But I mean, I think Sam Harris just did a, a podcast with Henry Gracie talking about more training for police yeah, so that they're able to handle situations better, not defunding, overfunding 25% of time on, on the clock training, 75% actually working. Yeah. And, you know, the group that I meet with every Monday morning, you know, we have, you know, uh, emergency responders in there and, and it's not just police, it's fire. You know, there's, there's not enough training. There's not enough funding for training by the, the cities and the counties. And you get a lot of folks there now. And, and I don't want to use the millennial generation, but you know, that's the thought out there is a lot of the millennial generation have had it really good. So they haven't been through a lot of trauma or seen a lot of trauma. So now all of a sudden you throw them out into an emergency situation where there is, let's say, a, a, a child that died. You know what? They they mentally have to take that snapshot now and it affects them because, yeah, they're, they're not used to trauma. So they're going from zero miles an hour to 100 
and they don't know how to deal with it, you know, at the scene and also after they process it. So you're looking at this, you know, affluent suicide rate that's gone up as well. And the same thing, it's just, yeah, training for the police. And I believe there's got to be funding and, you know, I'm going to hold the churches uh, accountable too, is that, hey, you know what, they're supposed to be the ones to help um, keep the family structure in place. And I bet you that if you look at these neighborhoods that are problem neighborhoods, whether it's black, whether it's Asians, whether it's Hispanics and whether it's white, you know, where the family structure is completely disintegrated, you have a lot of crime. So how do we help that? You know, where are the churches going to step up? You know, where's the local and federal governments providing funding to help solve the root problem? You know, because they're not. No. You know, and I hate to bag on BLM, but I'm sorry. You know, when I did my research and went online and actually went to see, okay, if I made a donation, where is that going to? Well, it's going 100% into a bucket for a political party. Yep. So, and they haven't spent any money to help any of the situation get better. Instead of just, you know, inciting people to go out and burn everything down and destroy everything because you're pissed off. Well, it's... and. The, the the honest to God truth of the whole situation is, is it's not an easy fix. It's a really fucking hard, complicated, nuanced, multi-point investment over the next 20 or 30 years to fix the problem. And nobody wants to think about that. They want to think about easy, quick. This is the fix. This is the fix. This yeah, is the fix. No. You're slapping Band-Aids on a thing. That's all you're doing. Yep. And it's just going to keep on becoming a monster. So why can't, you know, we get people to collaborate? Why can't we decide on, you know what, we need a a federal committee and we need local committees to get together of every race, you know, not, you know, one race to make that decision, every race, including, yeah, privileged white guys like yourself, you know, into that group to come up with a solution of, hey, how do we get to that single point of failure? How do we find that root cause and then start working there to help that so that the next generation is a lot better than, you know, the current one. How do we get drugs out of the, you know, the neighborhoods? You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of variables, but at least we would make a positive step towards a solution versus, you know, what we got now. Um, quick before we're at an hour and three. Um, you just mentioned get drugs out of the neighborhood. One thing I thought of from last podcast to this podcast is we talked about gun control and the, the overarching thought of the current administration to start to reduce our rights as, as law abiding citizens, right? So they want to start first, they're going to start with pistol braces and 80% lowers, and then we'll see where it goes from there. A lot of states are, are a lot of, uh, places are trying to start doing magazine bans and stuff like that. But we realize that this is our current generation's copy, like almost exact copy of the drug war. That was a complete failure from like the nineties, right? Like crystal meth is really fucking hard to make, but they're able to make it and get it, to every little podunk town all over. Well, guess what? You start banning everything over a 10 round magazine and nobody can sell them and companies can't make them. 
a 3D printer and piano wire, and you can make a 30-round PMAG copy. Oh, shit. So now how many of those? Now we're being watched by the FBI. Now, well, so, so but, saying that. but what I'm saying is, is that's that's simple. That's you mm-hmm. or me could do in our basement. When you start thinking I would never about do anything like that, no, me neither. Okay. Um, but when you start thinking about the type of big cartel money, all you got to do is you. I mean, you build a machine shop in Mexico and you start importing lowers, and you're you're the new cartel. You're the new drug cartel, but you're the gun cartel. And then all of a sudden we've created another financial stream to the criminal element in our country. Yeah. You can't just make things illegal and assume that that's going to cure the problem because murder is illegal and theft is illegal and all this shit is illegal and normal people that follow the law don't do it. Yeah. But criminals that think that they're above the law don't give a fuck. But do you think somewhere in there that the crooked politicians are making some profits on that? I curiously, um, as I was saying that and as I said, it was another stream of revenue to the criminal element in our country. That's what that's what popped in my head. Yeah, because if you want to take that and take a deep dive into child trafficking. Child trafficking, I mean, right now with the wide open borders and the irresponsibility of the administration, I mean, you got right now they're estimating that these traffickers are making close to $14 million. And I don't think I think I don't think that's annual. I think it's uh, more frequent than that. Wow. Just on child trafficking. I mean, there's it's gone to thousands of kids, um, you know, pictures I've seen from the guys that are down there. I mean, there are rooms with just literally bodies and, you know, the foil blankets just piled up. And this is the bullshit that the, you know, when Trump was in office, this is the bullshit that they kept, you know, slamming him for. Well, now it's exponentially worse and they're not fucking saying anything. Shame on the media on that one. Yeah. So whether you like Trump or not, I mean, if you really do care about these kids, quote, that get dragged across the border then, you know, somebody should be saying something right now. Yeah. Because they're being trafficked and now they're getting flown all over the country. They just get dumped in places. I mean, that's that's bullshit. So send them back and start and, establishing some control. And all right, quick. Is this like, is this families that want, that think that their kids are going to have a better life in the United States? So they're paying these traffickers to dump their kids in the middle of Iowa so that they'll get taken over by the government? Or are these like traffickers that are like stealing kids and bringing them over? Yeah, I think it's uh, a lot less percentage of what, you know, bleeding hearts want to think that these are families that want to. I mean, seriously, you're going to just throw your kids over the border and you know what the cartel's like. You know what's happening on the border? No, I would not cough my kid up. I wouldn't either. Parent. No, I wouldn't either. But I—that's—that's that's the curiosity in me—is what is what is what is driving this issue, other than money? Like, where are these kids coming from? Why are they? What is being done with them when they come here? They're just being dumped. Because if they're just being dumped, then that's not like that's not a beneficial for. Yeah, some of them are being dumped in. Um, gosh, man, a few weeks ago, I sent a video by, you know, uh, there, there's boots to the ground, people that I know. 
And there was a video that was sent through uh, Signal, which is, you know, more secure text just to show, you know, show me what was going on. And I mean, there was a guy that literally has no ID, basically taking like five, six of these kids, shoving them into a little hatchback and taking them where God knows, I don't know. But, you know, uh, my buddy stopped this car forcefully and, you know, brought the law enforcement over and tried to get an ID from this guy, which he didn't have anything other than a shirt that looked like he was an official. Yeah. Official for what? I don't yeah. know. But you're shoving, you know, five, six kids into your car that aren't even seat belted and going where? And whose kids are they? They're yeah. not his kids. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's got to really make people think, okay, yeah. what are they doing? Yeah. And that that's what that's where my curiosity is, is what is the what's the fluid structure of this situation? Yeah. So, well, that got dark real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Look at watch that video and it'll make you smile. There you go. All right. I'll link the video. I'll link the books. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Um, seriously, look more into meditation. It really is an upgrade to the running system of your brain, no matter if you want to get faster, stronger, healthier, smarter, better at anything, just improving all of those corners of being squared away. The, the meditation and the mindfulness that comes from the meditation is an upgrade to all of that. All right. Peace. Awesome. Peace out.